Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. Well, lots of exciting things are happening. D.C. and Baltimore are going to the birds. <laughs> the electric scooters have arrived. And people are saying, is this like the Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Birds, where we have the invasion of the birds? They just sort of crash land wherever they want. They that just seems go to be part of the problem. And this is the weekend of the Perseid meteor shower. Uh-huh. We'll talk about that. The idea of the week, drones as flying sheepdogs. <laughs> this is a very interesting idea. Yes, it is. And they're also talking about building an internet for space communications. This is becoming real because there's so many satellites trying to get links to the Earth. They want to try to get just a simple internet connection. Mm-hmm. And, of course, North Korea is, of course, doing cyber attacks all over the place, as always. And we've got the results in for some of the voting machine hacks from the Black Hat Conference. This week we're going to feature Rick Adams. He was the uh, creator of UUNet, and uh, that was a local company. It's, it's, it's one of the beginning companies in the Internet. It's a very interesting story. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Well, he dragged himself oh, to work today. Isn't that great? He did a good job. We mm-hmm. got an email from Stu in Kilmarnock. Dear Doc and Jim. Is Stu one of your new best friends? Oh, yeah. We he hear is. from him all the time. Yeah, Stu, Stu is a very nice boat. And, <laughs> and, and this is the thing, Jim. Stu is a boat? No, Stu... Owns a oh, very... Stu owns a boat. And what I've discovered is the best <laughs> boat you can have is a boat it's... owned by someone else. Exactly right. <laughs> that's, that's true. You don't have to pay for it. That's right. That's perfect. Dear Doc and Jim, I'd like to buy a satellite phone for use on my boat in case of emergency. I mean, Stu's got a big boat. He has something. He goes out into into blue waters. What are some good options? Love the podcast, Stu and Kilmarnock. Well... Stu, I think uh, satellite phones are not bad. You've got ship-to-shore radio, but satellite phones... She, you got a ship-to-shore, she. Yeah, satellite phones are not too bad, but you've got to have the right coverage, okay? Ah. The right coverage with the satellite. So let me give you three of the networks you've got. Inmarsat. Now, Inmarsat satellites, they work best if you are between the 50th degree latitudes. You know, you go up 50 degrees and south 50 degrees... The 50-degree north and south latitudes. You need to check your lawn and latch, eh? Yeah, because in other words, it doesn't cover the north and south pole. Ah. And the closer you get to the equator, the better the coverage is on on Inmarsat. Now, the reason is is that their satellites are cir- circulating, their geosynchronous circulating around the equator. Is there triangu- triangulation going That's on, right. too, Shane? Well, there is some triangulation. <laughs> and they have th- only three satellites. And so the further uh-huh. you are away from the uh, equator, the, the weaker the signal. So you can just go up to the plus or minus 50 degrees to the north and south latitude. Now, that would be... that's a, Many sailors use that because that covers... Most of the waters there where you know where 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 sailors sail because you, you stay away from the poles where it's just cold. Then you've got iridium. <laughs> you got the iridium system. Iridium is global coverage. It includes even the poles. Huh. It has not three satellites but sixty six satellites. They are in low Earth orbit and they're just and so there's always an iridium satellite somewhere to be found. However. Uh, if you have a long talk on an Iridium one, because one satellite drifts in and another one drifts out, so you can't talk more than about 10 minutes because you got to shift satellites. Whereas in the case of Inmarsat, you don't, you're not shifting so satellites all the time. Do you actually have to end the call and start again because you've changed? It, it doesn't automatically hand it, off? It doesn't hand off. That's one of the little disadvantages. Then you've got Global Star. It's limited to sort of the North American area. They only have 40 satellites. They're in, they're in low Earth orbit. It's not a global system, even though they call it Global Star. 
<laughs> it's not global. They only have 40. So those are the three. So Stu, Partial he, global star. So here are your three phone options using the three networks. You've got Iridium Extreme 9375. That's a satellite phone that has integrated GPS as well as an SOS button. That's really, if something's going bad on your boat, you just want to hit that button. <laughs> you, you, don't want to, you don't want to have to be dialing. You just want to hit the big the big red button. You mean 911 doesn't uh, work out at sea? No, no. That Out at sea, it's not 911. It's called SOS. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and this uh, this Iridium Extreme 9570 works, works globally. Now, the nice thing is it's got GPS, and, there, and it leaves a, a GPS breadcrumb trail. So people can track you and they can see as you're moving around the seas in your in your travels they can see where you've been so the iridium system it has got a lot of safety features now it lets you send and receive text messages email you can get voicemail uh, you can use it as a mobile hotspot but here's the deal the data speed is only 2.4 kilobits per second hmm. so really you need to send short messages because the, it's really not made for you know for major internet connection Battery lasts about four hours. Now the phone costs eleven hundred and fifty-seven dollars. Now I used to <laughs> think I used to think that was expensive until until the iPhone's a thousand dollars. So right. so it costs about as much as an iPhone X. Not not bad. Now if you, the monthly plan you want to get a monthly Wave Runner plan. You get ninety minutes a month for hundred dollars. Ninety minutes of talk for hundred dollars. And any additional minutes, $1.54. So that would be one option for you if you want to really have a global coverage of Iridium. Now, if you're going to go to Inmarsat, you've got the Inmarsat's iSat Phone 2. Now, that's rugged. It's splash-resistant. It's a satellite phone great for marine use. In fact, they designed it for marine use. Inmarsat really views themselves as a network for boaters. So this particular one is waterproof. It's really made for boaters. Now, the InstaPhone 2, it's got dust resistant shock resistant splash resistant it withstands 90 percent humidity the batter, battery life is good for about eight hours of talk time and 160 hours in standby the phone has voicemail text messaging email messaging it also has built-in gps and an emergency button to send a distress text to a pre-arranged number at your location now the in, now that phone costs 634 dollars so it's a little bit cheaper and, but if you want to get the Instaphone mid-plan, it costs about $65 a month for 30 minutes with extra minutes at $1.05. And then the final one is Global Star. So if you're only sailing around where the Global Star network uh, covers, that's going to be centered around North America. Uh, the Global Star GPS 1700 is low spot, low, lower priced. Uh, it, uh, the thing is, the Global Star is more of a voice kind of phone it doesn't send or receive sms messages there's no gps um but it has very good voice quality because those 40 satellites are connected to cell phone ground stations so it's a very good voice phone and so it's got also good voicemail the global star orbit you get 200 minute plan for around a hundred dollars a month with 99 cents uh, for each additional minute. That's around $500 on Amazon. But this Global Star, I think, is less of an emergency phone and more just like a, a phone to talk. So I think you're either going to want to go with the iSat Phone 2 or the Iridium Extreme 9517. So uh, the um, uh, I had a question, and it's already gone. Wow. Um, so uh, I guess the, the point people may be saying, well, why do you need a, 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 a satellite phone? At sea, well, there's no cell towers out there. There, there are no cell towers out there. I mean, there there is ship to shore uh, radio, mm -hmm. but when you're out in the middle of the ocean, the, for ship to shore radio to work, you, it's got to bounce off the ionosphere, so the 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 atmospherics have to be right to right. you know to you you know for that to work. The, uh, uh, ship to shore radio is basically just. It's it's a long wire radio. It's base yeah it's, yeah basically you use your mast as as as, a, as basically a, um, a you know a half dipole antenna using the uh, using the ocean as the ground plane mm -hmm. and yeah and so you you basically it's it's, it's just basically a, a ham radio. Now will will five G communications change this? Will five G be able to you know span five, five, large bodies of water five g had nothing to do with that. nothing to do no, with it no. okay five, five g you've got to you're in a congested area five it's G, still cell phone 
Yeah, it's still a cell phone. But what in order to get higher bandwidth with, with 5G, you, you need more spectrum. Mm -hmm. So they're pulling in microwave spectrum, all sorts of low-frequency spectrum, as well as the standard spectrum. They're knitting it all together. They're bundling all this available spectrum up to get gigabit speeds. So the 5G is really more efficient use of the leftover spectrum to get more throughput because it's all about bandwidth and throughput. Okay. That's 5G. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Okay. Well, uh, well I guess I could say it, the throughput is so good on the 5G that now Verizon is offering a 5G connection to your home. So you don't have to have a cable connection. And the bandwidth is, is a gigabit bandwidth straight to the home without cable. Wow. So they're looking at competing with the cable companies that have, that have run cable all over the place and think they have a monopoly. Verizon Could comes in with 5G with all this extra bandwidth, and bingo, there's competition with the cable company. I was going to say, could this be the last nail in the coffin? It could, Well, I, competition is good. It won't mm -hmm. be the last nail in the coffin, but it will be the key to lower prices. Okay, that's competition, good. That's important. Competition brings lower yep. prices. Now we got an email from, let me see here, we got an email from Jim in the studio. What? Ho, ho, ho. Dear Doc, I'm setting up a payment system on my phone. What is better, PayPal or Venmo? You know, I have many services to offer, so I get payments. You get you them know, everywhere. I get everywhere I go, yes. You'll accept money from I'll anyone. Accept any, yes. You'll accept money from anyone. Both have interesting but different features, Jim in the studio. Well, pay, Jim, PayPal is a very long-standing and trusted payment service that actually created the entire digital wallet category. I mean, it was uh, PayPal was started back was went public back in 2002, actually. And then Venmo is the new, the new age digital wallet, and it's become very popular with millennials. In fact, they now have the verb to Venmo. Would you Venmo <laughs> your payment to me? <laughs> you know, it's very millennial to speak that uh -huh. way. Would you Venmo your payment to me? Now, PayPal went public 2002. Venmo was created in 2012. PayPal saw competition, so they bought it in 2013. So now Venmo is actually a, uh, a subdivision of PayPal. Now, Venmo is part digital wallet and part social media feed. So the app asks for comments on every transaction. Oh, dear Lord. You know, like you're, you know, you're going to transfer money for, you know, dinner tonight. You say, wow, wasn't a great uh, was thing. dinner? I just love the chicken. Or, and, so there's, <laughs> and, so you, and so you have like a little, you, you have like comments and kind of social media. It's like newsfeed style. And, and it's really for friends who are, who want to, who want to, you know, pay each other and, you know, and then, and then share their comments about mm -hmm. whatever, whatever they're doing. So it, it's really social media and, um combined with payment transfer, and it's really designed for friend-to-friend -friend payment transactions. So, like, m most stores will not take Venmo, but almost, but many stores will take PayPal. So PayPal is really linked up with all these financial institutions. It's like the old... It's like trust. Venmo with gray hair. That's right, Venmo. It's like trust. It's it's like the old. It's like it's like a it's like a, a gray-haired banker. I was gonna say, to, it's like going down to the bank. Yeah, it's, it's like going down to the bank. And and see all the young millennials look at PayPal and they say, well, PayPal, that was that's that's just like Facebook. My parents use it, so I'm not going to use it. Mm -hmm. So they use Venmo. That's kind of what that is. Now the, the the thing there is one significant difference in addition if you're if you're transferring money between friends. It turns out that Venmo is completely free. Now, now both of them actually charge a 3% transaction fee on, on credit card charges because that's just a pass-through. But if you've got a debit card where they just debit it from your bank account, uh, there, there is no 3% charge on that. And Venmo doesn't charge anything. So if your friends all have debit cards, you can do the transfers completely free of charge. Whereas if you're using PayPal... PayPal is going to charge 2.9% on the transfer, whether it is a credit card or a debit card. So if you and your millennial friends are mostly using um, um, debit cards, Venmo is definitely the best way to go. Huh, good. Okay, we got an email from Betty in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm retired and need a low-cost mobile phone to stay connected. Now, most of the plans are way beyond my budget. I mean, I rarely use my phone. Mostly just gives me connectivity when the electricity goes out in the house. 
and my and I and I can't call out. What are my best options, Betty and Fairfax? Well, Betty, unlimited high data speeds, video streaming, mobile hotspots are now standard for most cell phone plans, and seniors like you really don't need all those extras. You just want a regular old phone that's going to work. Now there are a couple of really good plans for you. T-Mobile has a plan which is only three dollars a month, and that gives you thirty minutes of talk and thirty text messages. And the phone is around $60. Or if you've got a compatible device, so you can use your, your own phone. Now, you will have to pay for the $20 SIM starter kit, whether you bring your own phone or buy a new one. Because, because T-Mobile is GSM, so you need a SIM card. But really, if you are just having it there for the emergency phone call whenever the power's down, $3 a month is not bad. No. And you could probably get an old phone from one of your kids and, and just use it for that. AT&T has another plan. Now, it's $2 a day, but only if you use it. So if you actually never use your phone for like for a whole month, there's no charge. But if you use it one day, it's $2 for that one day. But then for that one day, you have, can have unlimited calling and texting for that one day. And then it's, it's $2 a day. But if you're always... Like if you're using your phone frequently, you, you, you could end up getting $60 a month for that if you use it every day of the month. So, um, And that's prepaid, so you got to charge the account. Probably for your case, T-Mobile is better. But here's the problem. T-Mobile does not have uh, as good a coverage as, as AT&T. So it could very well be you've got to check the coverage in your house and pick, pick the network that has the best coverage. And AT&T has better coverage by and large than Sprint. Now, we got an email from Jim in Bowie. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm going to on a trip to Europe and Asia, and I'd like to take my cell phone along. How should I prepare for this trip? Love the show. Jim in Bowie. Well, Jim, when you're traveling, you've got to have a GSM phone. That's like a global system for mobile, GSM. That's the it's like a satellite phone. No, yeah, no, 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 it's it is. <laughs> it's like, that's like the European standard. And then the American standard made by Qualcomm is CDMA, Code Division Multiple Access. So GSM was a technology they set up in, uh, in, uh, in you know many many years ago, and they and they basically time division. They they basically separate the signal between all the cell phones using time division multiplexing. That's an old standard that they had in Europe, and then CDMA is co division multiplexing. So they're, so they're two different techniques, but that that means they're basically two different standards. But if you go around the world, GSM is the dominant one. So you're going to need a GSM phone. Now, most phones support GSM. You know, of course, T-Mobile, Sprint, AT&T are all GSM. Verizon is CDMA. But the good news is, like if you have a Verizon iPhone, it's got both CDMA and GSM. So, you know, so it's a, it's a global phone. Now, when you travel and if you want to use a local number, a local phone number, which means you have to swap out the SIM card and buy a SIM card for the local carrier, and you want to make certain that your phone is unlocked so that it will accept a SIM card from another carrier. And AT&T is really stinky about this. They, 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 just, they just don't like to unlock their phones, but they will if you bug them enough. They especially don't like to unlock the phone if, you've got, if you're on a two-year contract. But I understand if one year the contract is passed, you can convince them to unlock the phone before the full two years is up, mm -hmm. or if you're a long-term AT&T customer. Now, the nice thing is Verizon's, their SIM card is unlocked out of the gate. So I don't have any issues with that. Now, when I travel, I, I, there is one thing about these free Wi-Fi networks that are everywhere, especially in hotels. People hack into them, and then they, they try to get into your device. So whenever I'm on public Wi-Fi, I use a VPN. And, and I'm telling you, they target, the hackers target five-star hotels because there are, there are executives there, and that is a target-rich environment. So even if you're on a hotel Wi-Fi, you want to use a target-rich environment. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they, they follow the money. They follow the money. And so I use ExpressVPN on my phone. It, it costs me about $100 a year, and I just simply, I simply toggle the VPN turns on. The other nice thing is that with my VPN, I can be in India, and it looks like I'm in New York. So that means I can watch my Netflix movies. That's another, that's another side benefit. Another, another shirt scam. Now, you want to in install your favorite voice over IP messaging service because when you're on Wi-Fi, you want people to call you, and you want to be able to call them. 
So I like to use Viber and WhatsApp. I still have Skype on my phone, but I don't use it much more. Now, many people use Facebook Messenger. I just don't like Facebook. I don't touch Facebook Messenger, but a lot of people use that. Yeah. And you can, use, you can use the video calls or voice calls. But WhatsApp and Viber are nice because they can just call you. They can call your phone using the WhatsApp or, or Viber number, and it just opens up. You don't have to have the app opened up, and it'll, your phone will just ring as normal. Now, the other thing is bring an adapter for the different, um, you know, the different kind of plugs. And don't use these USB charging stations because there have been cases where, especially these public USB charging stations like an airport, people have modified them. And then what they do is they go into your cell phone through the USB port and they copy your data. Mm -hmm. But if you use, if you actually plug it into the wall with an actual plug, they can't do that. So I always have a plug. I don't use the USB. Now, you could get an international calling plan. If you don't want to mess around with all of this stuff, you could get an international calling plan. And sometimes I do that if I'm on a 10-day trip, and I'll get the, the plan from Verizon. AT&T has it, too. It's $10 a day. So if you use the, the phone in one day, they charge you $10. And for that day, you've got unlimited voice and unlimited data. But if you don't use it the next day, they don't charge you. So... So you only are charged whenever you use it. And, uh, and if you're on Wi-Fi most of the time, then you're, you are, you are um, you know, you're not charged. So the other thing that I do, I go to the carrier and I set up Wi-Fi calling. Now, Wi-Fi calling has to be enabled at your carrier. So what Wi-Fi calling does, as soon as your cell phone logs into a Wi-Fi hotspot, it registers itself with the carrier. So if somebody calls your regular phone number, just like they're calling you normally, not knowing you're out of the country, it will go to that Wi-Fi router and straight to your cell phone, and you can answer the phone in a normal way and not be charged any minutes. So Wi-Fi calling is really good. So if you're on a outer, if you've got a lot of Wi-Fi there, and you've got Wi-Fi calling enabled, and you've got your voice over IP messaging apps, you may be able to survive quite nicely without having any um, any any phone card set up or any calling when you're when you're outside of the area. The one final thing I would suggest is your phone will download emails automatically. And if you're on data roaming, it will cost you an arm and a leg. So what you want to do is you want to turn off um, data for roaming. You want to sort of data for when you're roaming, and you can go in there with your settings, so you won't find out that you've got a you know a thousand dollar bill because you downloaded all these emails. Mm -hmm. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back with you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning, and you are listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. You can watch us do the show. Download the Periscope app to your device and follow us at WFED Tech Talk. Learn more about Stratford University and Tech Talk Radio by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. 
us today, we're going to feature Richard L. Adams Jr., best known as founder of UniNet, which was the world's largest internet service provider in the 1990s. <clears throat> he's also called Rick. This is why I like him. His name <laughs> is Rick. Rick got Adams. Your name. Yeah. That's right. And if he was a PhD guy in in physics, no, he's not. Two, no, he doesn't. You'd be best of friends. Yeah, we'd be best friends, but he's just a master's degree in computer science, uh, so you know, just a master's. That's right. So. Uh, so Rick obtained his master's degree in computer science from Purdue University, and after he graduated, he worked as a programmer for SAIC, Science Applications, in San Diego. He was there a couple of years, and in 1982, he accepted a position as a data-gathering specialist with the Center for Seismic Studies in Northern Virginia, and he was tasked with developing technology for nuclear test violation detection by looking at seismic waves around the world. Now, this is where Adams first encountered the ARPANET. ARPANET was the original packet switching network developed by ARPA, the Advanced Research Project Agency, and the, the ARPANET was a precursor to the Internet. Now, originally, the ARPANET was only for government contractors, government labs, and it was just a, it was all DOD, all the De Department of Defense activity. And um, and he and he was started using it there uh, as part of the um, Center for Seismic Studies because he was he was part of our you know he's, he was a, that was a government lab, and he really liked using it and so he ran the first international UUCP. Now UUCP is a protocol that stands for Unix to Unix copy because the whole ARPANET at that time had nodes made up of Unix, of, of computers running the Unix operating system. Actually, they were all, probably all running Unix, Unix BSD, Berkeley Software Distribution, and, and, you, and you could remotely copy files into all sorts of remote activities on a remote, um, uh, on a remote computer using the UUCP protocol. And... You could also copy things. You 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 could you could actually you know what is an email? You're really copying a file when you're when you're transferring an email. And they had sort of a sort of a a crude emailing system within UUCP. And so he used it as an email link at at his machine at the uh, Center for Seismic Studies. He named his machine Seismo, <laughs> Seismo. You know because of seismic studies. S e i s m o. I get it. Yeah. That's so catchy. So UUCP eventually evolved into UUNet, which was a network using the Unix to Unix network. Now, he also maintained a Usenet news transport service where he all sorts of technical news he'd upload and people would people would then connect to him using the UUCP protocol and and read his news. In 1984, but you see, whenever anybody was on the internet, I've got a, I've got a sidebar. When anybody was on the internet back then, you had to have a dedicated line. It was very expensive. And he wanted to figure a way where you could just dial into it. So you, you could have just a simple dial-up line, and you, then you could, you could make the UUCP connection with a simple dial-up line. So he invented a protocol called SLIP, Serial Line Internet Protocol, SLIP. And it was for dial-up connections. And so he could then have people dial into his, uh, his uh, international UUCP um, email link, and they could you know, do things on the network. And he got the idea. He says, you know, this is pretty powerful when anybody can connect to this Internet and start doing stuff. And see, nobody was using it with dial-up connections. Nobody, it, it, hadn't, it hadn't gone into the general public. So he got an idea to set up a nonprofit enterprise to offer low-cost access to the ARPANET using the SLIP protocol. And using his, uh, you know, using his UUCP node. So he thought, well, this is a pretty good idea. So he went to the Usenix uh, Association, which is a Unix software group that he belonged to, and it was, it was a nonprofit. And they, uh, and, and they funded this project for $250,000. They thought this is a pretty good idea. So he set up a nonprofit. So he set up UUNet, Unix to Unix Network, UUNet. And it would, but he only offered services to institutes and universities because he's a nonprofit, and he only wanted to deal with, you know, government. He, he was—it's sort of the whole ARPANET mentality. But then he said, you know, I should really move this thing and make it available to just regular companies and commercial ventures and that are not connected directly to the government. So what he did—he moved the whole UUNet system to his home, and he converted it 
to a for-profit. So he moved it to his home, and, and the for-profit he called UUNet Technologies, and UUNet Technologies bought out the nonprofit, and it said it'll repay them by giving them a share of the profits over the next many, many years. So with the share of the profits that the nonprofit received because of that buyout, the nonprofit has supported many Unix-related causes, such as the Internet Software Consortium. In 1990, he launched Alternet, which was their first foray into UUNet's commercial services. A few years later, they landed a contract to connect Internet traffic for Microsoft Network. They beat out the competitors like AT&T Corporation and MCI. So they were becoming one of the big boys, and it was just like being run out of his house, actually. Mm -hmm. So finally, he got some. He, he raised some venture capital because he said, "I've got to scale this thing. I got to. This has got to be. This has got to be more than a mom and pop operation." So he brought in a lot of money, scaled it, and and as what always happens, they said, "Well, we got to bring in professional management. We got to bring more investors." So they brought in a lot of money, and his and his share of the company went from 100 percent down to 15 percent. But they scaled, and they scaled fast. And uh, in 1995, this was only uh, this was only he turned into for profit in 1989. And then in 1995, they went public, and uh, and they and they it was a very successful public offering that that was valued in, in at one or two billion. A year later. MFS Corporation bought them out for $2 million in cash. Now, at that point, Rick Adams had a 15% share. So that was $300 million, mm -hmm. which is not bad for six years' worth of work. And that was back in, you know, back in 1995. Well, it was the year that Windows 95 was released. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, then after, he's, after he had his $3 million, he, um, he left UUNet. After he transitioned the leadership to John uh, Sig Sig Sigmore, and and he went on to move to other ventures. One interesting thing, he in Falls Church there's a restaurant called 2941, which I've eaten at many times. I didn't realize he was one of the investors in the 2941 really? uh, restaurant there in Falls Church. It's kind, of, it's kind of a nice restaurant. So he got into all kinds of ventures like that. In 1996... WorldCom purchased MFS Communications for $14 billion. So, Like a year later. A year later. WorldCom bought that. Then, as a subsidiary of WorldCom, UUNet remained one of the largest Internet service providers in the world. Its Internet backbone carried more than 250 points of presence globally. And when people said the Internet backbone, the Internet backbone was actually run by UUNet. They were they they were at the they were at the at you know at the basic uh, foundational core of the of, of the internet. Now they also offered VPN services, web hosting services, security services, e-commerce services to over seventy thousand clients. Then in two thousand and four, WorldCom declared bankruptcy. This was after the dot the dot com crash. Mm -hmm. They declared bankruptcy and they ended up merging with MCI. And then the whole thing was I, just, was re, was was named MCI. You remember, I remember that? that WorldCom was a big thing. It was a big thing. They went bankrupt, and and it was very controversial because because the executive staff made a huge killing on this thing. They, they had a huge payout as the company went went south. Mm -hmm. So they they got these huge bonuses, and then all the stockholders lost everything. Wow. So they, they they well they went into chapter they went declared bankruptcy went into chapter eleven then they merged with uh, with MCI. Now in two thousand and six, Verizon purchased MCI, and UUNet became Verizon Business. Mm. Isn't that interesting? That's e funny. Everything yeah. is all here in Northern Virginia. Now Adams co-authored uh, co the Directory of Electronic Mail addressing a network. He also wrote the RFC. Uh, 1036, which is standards for interchange for Usenet messages. As of 2012, he still resided in Northern Virginia with his wife and two sons. I couldn't find any more information about Rick Adams after 2012, and I looked. Well, he's got $300 million. He's, I bet he, he has his own ship-to-shore radio. I would think he does. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. There so that's go. all you want to know about Rick Adams and the man who was founder of UUNet. 
Hope you're paying attention because you can turn that knowledge into free lunch by playing the pop quiz coming up here on Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday at 9 on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. If you'd like to see us do the show, all you have to do is download the Periscope app to your device and follow us at WFED Tech Talk. More about the show and more about Stratford University are located at stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please, please, please be seated. Please be seated. Please be seated. They're, they're out of control today. They're out of control. Please put your Unix machines away. Put your Unix machines down on the floor. That sounds like we a can, personal problem. That's right. Now, earlier in the show, we talked about Rick Adams, of course, the founder of UUNet. Now, the first company that he worked for after he, uh, actually, the second company they worked for after he got his master's degree was here in Northern Virginia, and it was, the, it was at the Center for Seismic Studies. And while there, he discovered the ARPANET, and he created the first UUCP email link server. Now, what was the name of the computer that he loaded that server onto there at if the you size know the answer to today's Oops, sorry. question, now's That's okay. a great time to put down the romance novel and give us a call. <laughs> if you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If you're calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're calling from your satellite phone in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. And of course, as always, the international line is 877-9-3639-333. And if you're calling from either the North or the South Pole using the Iridium satellite network, you can reach us on... Skype. Simply connect the Tech Talk Radio 1 and your call will be forwarded to the studio for free of charge. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control is standing by to take your call, so dial now. So there you go. There we go. Well, we're going to the birds. The electric scooter backlash has started. Now, Silicon Valley's venture capitalists have been pouring billions into the electric scooter startups. We have companies like Bird, Lime, and spin. And we're already getting backlash because these scooters are dockless. People just drop them wherever they want. There's bird droppings everywhere. There are bird droppings. I saw pictures of some of some city parks and it looked like the invasion of the birds, really. They were just the the whole lawn was just filled with these scooters. And they were saying it's like 
Alfred Hitchcock Th- invasion of the birds. This wouldn't have been Baltimore, or was it another city? It was another city. Uh, which is interesting to know, because in Baltimore, they just wind up everywhere. But And didn't you see one in Baltimore that had the uh, the guts ripped out of it? Yeah, I, I saw one in Baltimore. We, we just opened up our restaurant there in Baltimore, Little, Little Italy, and I was up there walking down the street, and I saw one of these bird scooters, and somebody had ripped the integrated circuit out of the top, and all the <laughs> wires were just hanging loose. So that is... That is how Baltimore welcomes bird That's scooters. That's why we can't have nice things in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, that could be. Now, Bird pulled out of Louisville, Kentucky a day after they launched because they put scooters in the city without asking the officials first, and the officials said, get them out of here. Now, Nashville issued a cease and desist letter when Bird users started abandoning their scooters all over the place. San Francisco was forced to issue permits to limit the number of scooters that companies could drop off. Now, bird scooters have already been dropped into 30 cities, including D.C. and Baltimore. There are a lot of bird scooters down around DuPont Circle, mm-hmm. down around the mall. They're, they're no, big th- with millennials. Yeah, they're, they're all over the place. Yeah, now, now this, is, this is how it works. You've got to download an app. So you go to your phone, your smartphone, and download the bird scooter app. And then you set up an account. And you just have to, all you have to do is put in your email to set up the account. It doesn't even have a password. And then... And then you have to give it a method of payment. This is very important to Bird. It's, of course it is. But but they on my iPhone, they would take Apple Pay, so I didn't have to put in any credit huh. card. It was just easy to, or they'll take other credit cards. Then once that app is set up, you find, you walk around and find a free scooter. And you can find them by looking at the map on your phone. Yeah, there's a map on the phone tells you where to find them. So you walk up to the scooter, and then you click, I want to ride, and then the camera turns on. And then you focus the camera on the uh, on the little uh, on the um, on the little patterned uh, square there, right on the uh, on the QR it's a QR device. Yeah, reader, the right? sort of the QR uh, device. The, the right. The, what do they call it? The QR. I don't know what that code. The QR code. QR code. Okay. Yeah, you, you you basically take you just hold it on the QR code. It identifies the bird scooter, and then bingo. You can turn it on, and it costs you one dollar to ride the scooter plus fifteen cents per minute that you use. Now the scooters go up to fifteen miles an hour, and they'll travel fifteen miles on a single charge. Now one nice thing is, once you have made one ride on the scooter, they'll send you a free helmet. That's right. Yes, they will. I wonder what these helmets look like. I have no They're idea. Probably made out of paper mache. They are, yeah, because you're, you 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 spend a dollar plus fifteen cents a minute. I can't then, imagine then, it's something real good. You can order now. It doesn't help the nine one guy one guys find your brain once you've wrecked the, the bird. And scooter. then when you're done, you just you just drop you, you just drop it wherever you want. Um, That's and, part of the problem. They the, just the drop the it wherever. Is, instead of instead of like, they suggest that you put them beside a uh, a bike rack, but people just drop them anywhere. That's the problem, and they don't you know they really don't care about them. Now here is the interesting thing: they have to be charged because they only go 15 miles, and then they then they run out of charge. So if you go around at night. And catch a bird, bring it home, plug it in, feed the bird, and then release the bird in the morning. They pay you five dollars. So there's some people that are going out and catching, feeding, and releasing twenty birds catch a night. And release. Catch and yeah, catch and release twenty birds a night. They make a hundred dollars a night. There are some apparently uh, the, the the bounty varies. I think in, on some you can make up to twenty bucks for charging one of these things. And I don't know what the what the really? protocol is. Yeah, I've heard this. Maybe it's if they're in a in a far off place or they're completely Maybe. dead or something like that. Maybe they it, they might have something. I, I don't know how that works exactly. I've not char I've not uh, caught, I'm, fed, and released any I'm birds. I'm thinking yet. about doing this, but as part of research for this program. Well, see, I'm thinking that that some guy on the street could could find some bootleg, uh, you know, bootleg uh, plug plug it in, and he could just sit there and make and make five dollars a night just charging scooters. I wonder if <laughs> I guess they have to send you a charger, don't they? No, you just plug it in. It just it takes a regular a regular plug goes into the into the the, the vehicle like yeah. an extension cord type yeah. thing. Yeah, huh. actually, Jim, I've I haven't done it, so I'm just at this point I'm just I'm just you know what Doc? I'm just treading on 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 zero knowledge. As your humble <laughs> assistant, I will sign up as a bird catcher. Why don't you? And do- I will do that, and I will report back as to how this works. Because I'm thinking that that if if you only had to go like ten miles to work, you, you you could you could take a bird to work, take a bird home, and you know, and you'd be and you'd be spending maybe two bucks there, two bucks home. Charge that scooter at night, make five dollars, and your and your transportation and you is free. Right, exactly. And you, you don't have to buy a scooter. Uh huh. Well, I I know this that once the battery goes out on it. 
uh, you can actually unlock it and use it as a regular scooter and power it by foot. So it's not completely dead in the oh. water, so to speak. And the other thing is, if you're a charger, you can... Theoretically, you could do this. It would cost you less less than nothing because you get paid. You can unlock the thing mm -hmm. and use it on power to get it wherever you're going to take it to charge it up. Yeah. So theoretically, you could do that. Yeah. You 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 could drive it to work, charge it at work, then drive it home and charge it at home. Yeah. Maybe make ten dollars a day. And it's, basically, it's your own <laughs> personal bird. Yeah. <laughs> and you flip everybody the bird. There you go. There we go. Um, that's 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 interesting. You know, one of the problems with these things, if you've ever seen them in operation, 15 miles an hour on a scooter looks really fast. Yeah. So they, they do truck along. And one of the problems that I've had in, in Baltimore City is that these things are on the promenade around the Inner Harbor. And it's a congested area. They're, so, they're everywhere. See, I mean, in, in uh, China, these dockless bikes didn't mm -hmm. work out very well. You know, because they were basically so. So I don't know whether these dockless systems are really well, going to work. And I'm curious about the dockless bikes here in D.C. In Baltimore, they, they, they we don't have dockless bikes yet. The do, mm -hmm. the bikes in a dock <laughs> have been destroyed. Ha oh, <laughs> they, they 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 people take them, they wreck them, they leave them anywhere. But but anyway, in Baltimore, in D.C., people seem to be much more well behaved and compliant with the system with the, nice. the dockless bike. I mean, they leave them someplace where they're out of traffic and they look like they try to take care of them. But yeah, I, you know what? I will, I will, I will work. You on You research this. and report back on I your certainly on shall. your bird feeding. We do not have a winner yet, so why don't you do this? Why don't we ask the original question? And you had a question. Why don't you ask that as a backup and okay. see if we get any traction? Uh, so any the first thing here. is when he set up his first UUNet email link, he had it on a server at work. What was the name of that server? Of course. There's a hint of this. He was working at the Center for Seismic Studies. Think seismic. Yeah. Seismic. And now the second question, which you want to answer on UUNet, <laughs> what does UU stand okay. for? It's 877-936-9333. Okay. Now the Perseid meteor shower is this weekend, August 11th and 12th, 2018. And it's going to peak up this weekend. Now, it's going to be especially good because the moon is a very thin crescent. So the sky is going to be quite dark. There should be 60 to 70 meteors per hour during the peak. Now, the peak is going to be at 2 a.m. So, you you know, you'll have to stay up to see the peak. But you mm -hmm. they'll sort of uh, they'll be ramping up to that peak uh, all the way up. Now, what is, the Perseid meteor shower is caused by a comet called Swift-Tuttle. Now, this Swift-Tuttle comet came close to Earth uh, back in 1992. It actually passes near Earth every 133 years. It passes near Earth. And it passed near Earth back in 1992. And when it passed Earth, it left a trail of stony grit. And so then every year, every summer, the Earth moves through this trail... <laughs> And as it moves through the trail of the a comet, a Swift-Tuttle comet, we see the Perseid, we see the Perseid media shower. And as these space rocks, they get into the atmosphere, they come down, they burn, and you get a bright streak of light. Now, you might want to know, why is it called the Perseid Doc, meteor shower? Why is it called the Perseid meteor shower? It's because the point in which these particular uh, meteorites appear to originate Right, lies right in the middle of the constellation Perseus. That makes sense. So, the, so they're the Perseids. It's the Perseid meteor it. shower. It's, it's like it's coming out of that constellation. Wow. Now, our planet is going to move through the densest and dustiest part of the trail this weekend. The Perseid meteor shower will be visible Saturday night, but the best show is going to be Sunday night around 2 a.m. So stay up late. Get a glass of wine and enjoy the meeting, the shower. All right. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. We'll be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Earlier in the show, I talked about Richard Adams. He, of course, is founder of UUNet. What was the name of his computer that he had at the Center for Seismic Studies that he put on the first UUCP email link? That's one question. Second question is, what is what does UU mean in UUNet? You only need to answer one question. Only correctly. one question. That's and right. I think this is a definite sign that it's the middle of August. Yes, indeed. Okay, <laughs> the idea of the week. Yes. Drones as flying sheepdogs. Okay. Okay. A new algorithm would allow drones to reduce collisions between birds and aircraft. Collisions between planes and birds create all sorts of problems. They mostly strike the aircraft in the engine or the window of the cockpit. And when that happens, the pilot has to land to check for damage. In the U.K. alone, there were 1,800 confirmed bird strikes in mm. 2016. Well, that was the, the miracle on the Hudson. That's that... right. So, see, birds are a problem even in the air, Jim, as well as on the ground. We are, it is invasion <laughs> of the birds. That's yes. right. In North America, bird strikes cost airlines an estimated $500 million a year. Now, the scientists at the Imperial, Imperial College of London together with researchers from Caltech and the Korean Advanced Study Institute of Science and Technology, have a better way. They have been mathematically modeling the way birds flock and the way bird flocks behave, and particularly how bird flocks behave when they're threatened on the edge. Now, based on this modeling, the team built a herding algorithm where that programs flight paths for a drone specifically laid out to drive birds away from a designated airspace. The algorithm was tested on flocks of loons and egrets, with the drone carrying out a series of maneuvers around the flock to push them away from the protected airspace. They found that the approach actually worked pretty well. Hmm. So now they're looking at successfully shepherding flocks of different sizes as they try to attack this problem. Now, the next step, they're going to look at how multiple drones can be used to shepherd larger flocks as well as multiple flocks at the same time. Now, you know what? This sounds to me like a good part-time job for you. I'm going to feed birds, and you take your drone and out I'll there, take, and you herd and birds. I'll ta- and, I'll herd, and I'll herd birds with that. So that mm-hmm. seems like a very good idea. It does. Now, the building an Internet for space communication, this is kind of an interesting idea. Odyssey is a new company, and it has a mission of providing the first commercial space-based data relay system and it claims its network will be fully operational by 2020. The FCC has already allocated crucial license for bandwidth earlier this month. The network will use two ground stations, one in San Francisco and one in Singapore, and they will be linked to three medium orbit, medium Earth orbit satellites, MEO satellites, instead of low Earth orbit, medium Earth orbit. They're kind of between the low Earth orbit and the geosynchronous. Mm-hmm. And uh, these satellites will be launched in 2019. Now, at the present time, most commercial satellites sit in low Earth orbit and connect directly to a tower situated on the ground. And that connection only carries data for one client at a time. So every single satellite has to set up a separate data link. They have to secure separate bandwidth, and they're all competing for bandwidth, and they're all setting up separate their own separate connection. It's not very efficient. So Odyssey's plan is to position these three satellites further away from the Earth 
so that the low Earth orbit satellites will communicate up to the Odyssey satellites, to a network on the Odyssey satellites, then these three satellites are networked together. That signal, that networked data, will then be transmitted to one of the ground stations that is run by Odyssey, either in, uh, in, in, either in San Francisco or Singapore, and then relayed on. Then that way, all of these thousands of satellites that are in low Earth orbit can share one basically, one, ba one packet switching link. And that's the same thing we did on the Internet. You know, we, in the old days, everybody had a direct dial-up connection, say, for a long-distance call. That's why long-distance is so expensive. And then they said, well, why don't we just run packet switch networks and share all the links, and then we just run multiple people on the same link. So that's what they're doing here. This is a great application. The development is priced at uh, $300 million. And uh, it looks like this is going to be a very successful project. It's going to launch two satellites. First, they're going to two test satellites this year. One will leave on the SpaceX mission, and then uh, then there will be a second one that's that's going to go up, and it's going to be put on the uh, International Space Station. But the International Space Station will we'll use that to make a ground link. It's a great program. Cool. Now, let's talk about UUSERF. They're warning about a cyber threat from, guess who? North Korea. North Korea, of course. United States Computer Emergency Readiness Team, USERT, has issued a fresh warning a new, that a new piece of malware believed to be created by the North Korean government is on the loose in networks around the world. It's called Key Marble. The malware is a remote access trojan called RAT. Remote access Trojan rat. You know, and so you want to keep the rat out of your computer. You do. U.S. CERT said and cautioned users against opening attachments and emails, even when the sender appears to be known. Rat is a 32-bit Windows executable that can access device configuration data, download further files, run commands, modify the Windows registry, set database, change database settings, take screenshots, and transmit data. Like... Like passwords. U.S. CERT believes that Key Marble is disseminated by the North Korean hacking group called Hidden Cobra and could be linked to other government sponsored malware. Um, they have been, uh, in Teaser and McAvee, have been able to link multiple North Korean hacking groups through the significant code reuse. They keep reusing code so they link them together. And so they've noticed that this is using some of the same code blocks that were in the WannaCry virus. They use the same a Windows Server message block code, and this malware has been attributed to the North, North Korean group Lazarus. The Lazarus group has reused SMB modules from, from at least 20, 2009 to 2017. So be careful of these email attachments because you don't want to be infected by key marble. Mm -hmm. Voting machine hacks have been explored at the Black Hat Conference. They actually, uh, Carl... Uh, Sherman, associate professor of IT at Copenhagen, looked at eight voting machines, uh, the WinVote voting machines. These were used in, in Virginia, actually. And he found that uh, the, uh, that were open ports on these machines. They used a 2002 version of Windows XP that had been updated. And they had drives that were accessible using the password ABCDE. He also discovered downloaded MP3 files playing Chinese songs on one machine and more than 60 files have been modified in a one-hour period. These machines can be penetrated by Wi-Fi. So can you imagine somebody driving around, connecting to a machine by Wi-Fi and changing the vote tallies from the parking lot? Perfect. These machines were used in the last gubernatorial election in Virginia. They're now been all decommissioned. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and go to the Stratford University website and tell them you heard about their programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, 
My Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu.